Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. For the sake of eternity, I really feel this is a, an essential series that we're doing as a church. It's also a sign of maturity. We're going deeper. We're trying to understand more. We're not avoiding Scripture. Uh, who knows, it's very easy to avoid the Scriptures that you don't like. Um, and listen, I'll be honest, I don't enjoy. This is not one of the sermons that I really enjoy that much, if I'm honest. Uh, it's not one of the topics I like to think about. But I'm not going to put my head in the sand because I want to present, and I have to be faithful to the Word of God. This is not my church. This is not my idea. I'm a created being by Father God, and so I want to be faithful to Him. Can I get an amen? And so that's why we're talking about this. Last week we spoke about, if you didn't hear it, go catch up, please. Really important that you see the full picture. Uh, We spoke about how uh, our soul becomes separate from our bodies when we die. We see that in the Scriptures. We also uh, seen very clearly that there seems to be two judgments. There's the great white throne of judgment, which is for the unbeliever, uh, and the judgment seat of Christ, which is for the believer. Uh, and so that's really important that we understand. And sometimes I got confused over this. Like, so, so I thought you know, heaven was supposed to be all good and all easy, and everything was sorted, and there was no pain, no sorrow, but there is a judgment seat of Christ for the believer, meaning you'll be rewarded for what you've done. And so there is, there is a bit of tension around that where you don't just, if you sit and do nothing, well, there will be a consequence to that as well, meaning how the rewards are given out. And so, <laughs> I don't know about you, um, sometimes it's a topic, depending on how it's presented and what you believe, can be very, very heavy, and it's very hard to get around that. And so I want to talk about why is hell a problem? And the reason we need to talk about hell is this. If we don't talk about the horrors of hell, then we'll never accept the glory of Christ. If we don't accept the potential of captivity, we won't appreciate the reality of freedom. If you don't accept the brutality of war, we won't appreciate the beauty of peace. If we don't realize the punishment of sin, we won't understand the sacrifice of Christ. And so as much as we don't like to think about it, some of us on the earth have had relatives who went to war, and today you're walking in freedom because of them. But it was brutal. It was gruesome. They give the the biggest gift they could give to you, which was their life. We can put our head in the sand and pretend it didn't happen, but it did. And that's why I guess we look through history, because we don't want history to repeat. That's why we don't put our head in the sand once a year. All over the earth, people use the poppy as a symbol, not just in Northern Ireland, not just in the UK, across the earth as a symbol to remember, hey, this happened, let's make sure we do whatever it takes to prevent this ever happening again. And so... We don't dig our head in the sand. We deal with it. We, we face it. I remember one of the first times I heard about hell. Probably didn't hear about that much within, within a church environment, but I heard about it on the street. <laughs> and to be honest, the, the problem with that is not that it wasn't part truth. 
it was that it wasn't the full picture. And, and so what I started to get from it was that God is so mad all the time. What I started to get from it was that God didn't like people <laughs> that much. And the problem with that is that's not accurate. It's actually the op opposite. God actually loves people that much that he sent Jesus. And so I don't know what your background is, what you've heard, what your filter is, but I, I guess today I want to try and give a balanced approach to that, the full picture, hopefully, or at least part of that full picture as we go through this series. So we're not going to just talk about grace. We're going to talk about grace and truth. Uh, Jesus came in grace and truth, and so it's important that we deal with truth as well. Why? Because what we believe about eternity determines how you live today. Craig Rochelle said that. I love it. It's the same thing we said within the marriage series. How you see marriage determines how you date. How you see eternity determines how you live today. Because if it matters, then you live differently. If it doesn't matter, you live how you want. There was research done in America, uh, uh, and the results came up. 74% of Americans believe in heaven. I'm sure it's similar enough here. Only four in ten people believe that those who reject Christ spend eternity in hell. Half of one percent of people believe that they're going to hell. <laughs> so the, the figures don't really add up. But everyone obviously thinks they're going to heaven for the most part. But then we see in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it, but small as the gate narrows the road that leads to life, and only a few find it, which is a challenge in Scripture to that understanding. And so I, I guess if I were to think like the devil thought, and I've, I've eyes on a strategy, on an assignment to try and prevent people reaching God's kingdom, reaching relationship with Christ, because that is the goal, stand in relationship with our Heavenly Father, I would be trying to probably prevent people from even believing that hell's a place, that, that God would ever separate from us, that God would ever do anything bad to us. Um, I guess a good example is if you think about the lion. <laughs> when the lion's hungry, uh, he's looking for, for food, for prey, and you see in the Discovery Channel that what does a lion do right before he sees a target? Does he go, hey, I'm coming to get you. Hey, zebra. Hey, buffalo, I'm coming to get you. No, he, he, he crouches down on the floor. His, his fur matches the terrain. He becomes disguised and he starts to creep. You've seen a cat do it after the mouse. He's in hiding. He wants the prey, the buffalo, whatever he's after, to believe that he's not there, that he doesn't exist until, boom, until he's hanging around his neck, around his juggler, and it's game over. And I guess if, there, if the devil is real, and if you were the devil and you had a strategy to try and cause people to avoid heaven and go to hell, you would want people to not believe in hell in the first place, that it even exists, that's even a thing that God doesn't, God's all love. All grace. Forget about the truth side of things. Forget about 
consequences that we dealt, about, dealt with last week. He would convince us that there's no consequence, there's no issue, there's no problem, and there's no hell. And, and unfortunately, the problem with that, as much as I would love to believe that, I'm all about all grace. I'm more gracious, probably. I would lean more towards that, and I have to deal with truth. just want everyone to be happy, everyone to be connected, everyone to be in a good place. The problem with that is what happens is then people justify sin. Sin doesn't become an issue. It's no problem any longer. Just do what you want. Go with what feels good. Then we justify. And one thing we definitely don't have is that we don't even fear God. I spoke last week about the best schools that I've been in as a substitute teacher are the schools where there's a bit of fear, at least of one teacher. Like if I get sent to him, I'm in trouble. Come on, anyone been there? You know, if you go to a certain teacher, you're in trouble. But what that done was that, that kept you in line in the narrow path, yeah? That kept you studying. That kept you learning. That set you up for the win for the future. Why? Because there was a fear, a healthy fear. I've been in time to get, I know how the kids are scared of Mr. Gale. And they're in line. <laughs> they know, the volleyball teams know, know if they don't do the strategy that he's laid out and the tactics, they better watch. Why, why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of progress. It's the beginning of building a life that works and functions in a godly way. Can I get an amen? And so before we know it, if, we, we just, if anything goes, then what happens is we become believers, but we're completely self-centered. Life revolves around us. There's no sacrifice. When persecution comes, we don't stand. We can't stand the test of pressure, of time, because really deep down, it's all about me. And before we know it, we have made a God that's in our image instead of us being made in His. The God I have suits my needs. <laughs> I never feel conviction because God's always convicting me about what I want and giving me what I want, and life is all about me. We've got to be so careful. And when we start to look through this filter, we start to realize, yeah, that this makes sense, that there's a consequence for sin. Also, there's no sense of spiritual urgency. We never invite people to faith. We never invite people to church. We never want to pray for anyone. We never are challenging ourselves to share the gospel. The church dies on its feet when we have a gospel without consequence, without hell. See, hell exists to deal righteously with the devil. Well, what is the devil, Phil? Sometimes we hear about this. Is it a, the things we see in movies? Is it what we've heard on the street? Who is the devil? In other words, there's so many different names for the devil and Satan within the Scripture. But what the devil represents is behind every addiction, every abuse, every fear, every pain, every shame, is a destroyer, a deceiver, a dragon, a dark angel, a serpent, an adversary, an enemy, a tempter, a wicked one, a thief. The father of lies, the prince of darkness, he steals joy, he kills faith, he destroys health, he causes financial ruin, he obliterates marriages and takes your kids. That's the devil. 
That's what evil is represented by. I would say there's not a person in here doesn't believe that there's evil in the world. I'd say there's not a person in here doesn't clearly see, yes, there's definitely good and there's definitely evil. And if you're really honest with yourself and you self-assess, you'd say there's actually evil in me. There's a part of me wants to do things his own way or her own way. There's a part of me that wants to, to create a, a life that it orbits around my needs and my wants. Why? Because there's a part of us that needs fixed. There's a part of us which is broken and missing, and God's got the answer for it. But if we don't take his answer, we stay broken. We stay separated. We stay in that same place of self-centeredness. It says in Revelations 20 and 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Listen, some of, I've read all kinds of reviews on this. When I was in my early 20s, I really struggled with this, if I'm honest, because I, I don't want anyone to suffer. I don't want anyone to be separated from God. But as much as you can read into this, there's people who have different opinions forever and ever. What is that? Is it age to age? Is that a certain period of time? Is there a limit to that time? I don't know. The reality is there's a warning here. The reality is we need to pay attention. The reality is we can't ignore it. And if you actually look through the scriptures, and we'll go into this in a second, that it was Jesus who actually brought to our attention the idea of eternal hell, eternal separation. The Old Testament doesn't really deal with, it talks, hell in the Old Testament is Sheol, which is the grave, which is like a holding place when you study it. It's not completely clear. We have, we have some scriptures that we'll talk about in a second. But hell exists for God to deal righteously with the unbeliever. And this is where it gets complicated. Because like me, and like you, I'm sure, how can God send good people to hell? It's not fair. Surely not. And I find this interesting as I was, kind of, you know, you're looking at the world right now, and there's nothing really new under the sun, and I'm listening to all that new ideologies and how it's ever changing day by day, and the woke culture, and all that. You've seen some of that, yeah? <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it. Um, and I find this really interesting because in the woke culture, the, the kind of ideology at the center of it all is love is love. And really what that means when you break it down is anything goes. All grace. We don't really want truth. Our truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Anything goes. What I find really funny was when someone challenged this, I was listening to a particular woke person uh, trying to explain, you know, gender dysphoria and, and all those kind of issues that are on the radar right now. And they were just kind of validating it. And then someone came with a polar opposite opinion saying, no, that's not true. There's only two genders, da, da, da. And because this person was very straight and polar opposite to their belief, this woke person was cracking up. So, so love is love, anything goes. We just love everyone, everyone's accepted until you disagree with me. And as soon as this person disagreed with their ideology, oh dear, that person needs to go to jail. Bring back capital punishment to that person. No, I'm serious. This is, all of a sudden, what started to well up in their spirit was judgment. That there needs to be justice because they're going against what is true to them. And why do I find this interesting? What I find interesting is in the church, we're sometimes the same. 
God is love. Anything goes. But as soon as someone steps out of line to what we believe, or if we see a murderer, or if we see somebody who's abused children, or there's human trafficking, or there's social justice issue, we want justice. It's not right. Or maybe you're in a relationship and someone does you wrong. I need justice. That's not fair. There's a part of you that wells up that, oh, wait a second, love is love, or God is love is not enough anymore. I need judgment. I need justification. This person should pay. And to be honest, I would say in both those scenarios, the justice side of that is correct. Because as humans, we know the, the earth we live on is not perfect. We want it to be perfect. We want it to be sinless. We, we have a desire for eternity where God has fixed the problem of sin, but we're not there yet. And so we know there has to be an answer and a price that's paid. So whether you're woke or whether you're not, there's something in us as human beings that we yearn for justice. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. A perfect God, a holy God, and he's put that in us. Can I get an amen? Are you tracking with me? Not too offended. Yeah? You're still here at least. So it is impossible for God to be holy without being just. So both of those camps... There's something in them that is made in God's image and it's justification. It's realizing whatever we believe, it needs justice. There's justice a part of the ingredient. There's justice a part of the story. But there's a problem at hand and it needs fixed. And so God knows that too. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of God. This is not fun. This is not nice to talk about. But just like those two camps and probably everyone in this room, you agree that justice needs served. Why? Because holiness can't exist without justice. God is fully loving, but he's also fully holy. And so he can't deny himself the perfection of who he is and join with something which does not agree. Two, not, two cannot walk together unless in agreement. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we will never appreciate the glory of the gospel. So here's a glimpse of hell. It says in Luke 16, this is New Testament now. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, which really just means he was really wealthy. And also watch that in the scripture, this man is named the rich man. He doesn't have a, his identity was in riches. His identity was in the riches in which he possessed on the earth. He didn't even have a, didn't, he didn't seem to have a personal name, like Lazarus in this, in this story. Lived in luxury every day. At this gate was led a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. The problem is they both died. Like us all, we'll all die one day. It says in verse 22, Then the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Or in other versions, we'll say Abraham's bosom, which is 
this holding place that we're talking about for when a believer in this scenario died. We're assuming this is before the judgment seat of Christ. The rich man also died but was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away. So whatever's going on here, they can both see each other in this holding place, but they're in two different locations. There's a chasm in between. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him Father Abraham. So he knew about Abraham. He recognized Abraham. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So it's hot, whatever's going on. Because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, whatever you believe about this, whether it's metaphorical, literal, doesn't matter. It's not good. So, so just to explain, what is Hades? Hades sometimes is, in some, in some interpretations, is a word that is used for hell, but it's also used as the literal word Hades. Um, the New Testament equivalent for um, he, sorry, Hades in the Old Testament is the word Sheol, um, which is really this can sometimes be interpreted the grave or a holding place before uh, the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne. It's a temporary place where people go before judgment without Christ. <clears throat> but obviously we know as Christians, we're either absent from the body as present with the Lord. And so we see this is where Lazarus seems to be with Abraham's bosom in, in process of, of, of going to heaven. Now, don't fully understand this. There's limited information in this. but That's the best that we can kind of understand, or at least I can, at this present. Uh, Revelations 14 and 10 says, They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels, and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And so Hades really is the, is the temporary place, but then in the New Testament, we, we see this other word called Gehenna, uh, which is the permanent place. Ge Gehenna comes from the Valley of Hinnom, and this is where Jesus would speak about hell. He would use the word Gehenna. So you might see it in your Bible. It says hell, but actually if you go into the original language in, in the Strong's Concordance, it says Gehenna. And so that's why I'm trying to explain this right now. So if you, when you're trying to interpret Scripture, you always want to try and think through the lens of somebody that was hearing it in that day, in that age, because how we might hear it might be completely different. Because that henna place, Gehenna place is not there no longer. The fire uh, that it was talking about is no longer there. So it, it, would, it would come across different to us as to someone back then. And so we want to look through their filter because we want an accurate reading. So this Gehenna fire, when we look at it in their context, was a dump outside of Jerusalem, and it was a dump where all the waste, um, you know, old carcasses of, of animals would have went, and they would have, it would have just been a fire that was continually burning all that rubbish, a rubbish dump of all kinds. It didn't smell good. It wasn't a nice place you wanted to go. It was where things were left off to burn, and they would have said that fire burned all the time. So that was the context when Jesus was speaking about this place, Gehenna. So then if we go on um, and, and further on the story here in Luke 16, it says, Then he answered, Then I begged you, so this is the rich man, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus 
to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. So there's a few things that we notice about that that I think it's important that we acknowledge. Number one, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. So he had memory, he had pain, he had regret, most likely. Number two, the rich man's eternal destiny was fixed. It didn't seem like, hey, what do I need to do to get out of here? <laughs> there, was, there was no chat like that in this, this passage. Number three, the rich man knew that his suffering was just. He wasn't saying, this is not fair, but did I not help that person? Did I not go to church here? Did I not? He seemed to have just accepted it and then straight away went to his relatives and said, hey, you need to warn my relatives because I don't want this happening to them. Yes. And last he said, he never said it isn't fair, which is sometimes our mentality, that's not fair. My mentality and my grace would be like, oh, this is not fair, I wouldn't do it. And here's the reality. There's things that God does that me or you wouldn't do. But that's why he's God and we're not, because <laughs> he's smarter than us. He sees the full picture. I don't understand everything. I don't understand the whys and the whats, but I know God's heart is good. And I know that evil is real. And I know it needs dealt with, and I want it dealt with in the right way. Why are we talking about this? Why is it so heavy? Because what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. The devil wants to convince us that hell, consequence, is not, is not a problem. It's not a place. It doesn't exist. But very clearly within the Scripture, when Jesus is speaking and the examples we're getting, Jesus is very clear that this is real and this is a place and that there are consequences and we should take it serious. But it's not for, for, for good people to go to hell. That's a great question. It's not for that good people go to hell. The problem is, put your hand up if you've ever stole a pen. Say we're all liars in here. <laughs> put your hand up if you've ever stole a pen from church. It's even worse. I'll not ask you to put your hands up anymore. Anyone in here ever had a lustful thought over someone else? I don't think you'd be honest if I asked you that one to put your hands up. Or have you ever had an imperfect thought? Or have you ever shouted, as a child, that's mine. Leave it alone. I want everything. Everything revolves around me. You see, at our core, we're not perfect. At our core, we're not good. At our core, there is a problem with sin. I'm not saying, I'm not being unreasonable and saying, that we're all bad. I'm not saying there are non-believers out there that don't do good things. Let's be real. There's sometimes non-believers who do better things than some Christian people. But I am saying that there's a problem with evil, and we have all sinned and fallen short, meaning we've sinned at some point along our journey on earth, probably repeatedly, probably sometimes not knowing, because our nature veers towards me, me, me. And the problem with that is if God is holy and God is perfect, what do we do? If you're all about justification, if you're all about justice, if you're all about revenge when someone hurts you and, and you want them to pay the price, if you're all about uh, a murderer getting a penalty 
for that sin. What do we do with yours? What do we do with mine? Who pays for it? Because it's out there. It's in the universe. It's in eternity right now. Eternity is already in existence. God lives outside of time. So what do we do with our sin? It needs dealt with. God is holy and he's just. Because he's just, he must punish sin. Not because he hates anyone. Not because he's trying to be mean. Not because he just wants to be a God of wrath for the fun of it. It's nothing to do with that. It's just about truth. It's not about fairness. It says in John 3, 16, what, what about this God of love? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's played his cards. God has made his move. God is showing humanity that he loves humanity. He loves people. He's fighting not against flesh and blood. He's fighting against the powers and principalities of darkness. He's not fighting against us. He's fighting against the evil one, the devil, Satan. Romans 6 and 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. It's just the truth. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Bible. It's not personal. It's just the truth of the problem that we have at hand. Romans 5 and 8 and 9 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Why? Because he pays the price for us. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was the penalty of sin. That's why we take community, or communion. That's why you remember his blood and his body because he dealt with our sin, which frees us. We're no longer slaves to sin. Our identity is no longer as a sinner, but as someone who is a saint, saved. And this is why we see Jesus talk about parables that he would leave the 99 to go for the one. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants us to love his people the way he loves us which looks like sacrifice, it looks like discomfort, it looks like having people on our mind, it looks like praying, it, it looks like seeking people out, it looks like standing in the gap for people. Because he loves us. John 10.10, 10, and this is not on the screen, says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and to the full. And so God is not against us, he is for us but he does acknowledge the problem that is on the earth. He acknowledges the problem of sin, which is all over the earth. I love, I think we'll talk about this in the next week or two, that when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, what he was saying is all that the devil is doing on the earth today and has done, when he's talking about abuse, when he's talking about the marriages he's destroyed, when he's talking about uh, the spiritual forces of darkness which are operating all across the earth still today. He stood on that rock and actually the literal gates of hell were behind him. It was named the gates of hell in that, in that time, in that society. I'll probably get a picture up just to remind us of that. He says, upon this rock, upon this evil, I'm going to build my church. Upon the brokenness of humanity, I'm going to erect a church, a body of people who take me seriously who get on board with my mission and trust me with their life, and we're going to conquer evil. 
We're not going to wait until eternity. We're not going to wait until heaven. We're not going to wait until a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to do it now. That's why the church exists today. And that's why the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's why the Helper was provided, not for a church that just stands and sits and, and, revo- and, and does worship services just for itself, just to get a tingly feeling. No, 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 no. It's much deeper than that. The whole point of those tingly feelings, the whole point of that powerful worship is to get you on your feet for the week, for the Monday when you're at work. And so I think it's, it's a good time for us as a church to take this truth, get reminded of why Jesus came to the cross and why we take communion and realize that there's a real task at hand. And what we do and what we say and what we invest in and what we pay for and what we pray for, it has impact eternally. The gifts that you have land dormant matter. If they're just sitting there doing nothing and you're all comfortable, well, when you come before the judgment seat of Christ, if you're a believer, God's going to ask, what did you do with that gift of hospitality? I gave you the gift to host people in your home. Did you use it? Or did you just use it for your own benefit? What about, you've got the gift of evangelism. Did you ever ask someone and share the gospel, the good news of Christ. It's good news. I don't want you to tell them bad news. I want you to tell them good news. Did you use it? Did you develop it? Or maybe you have the gift of, God has given you the spiritual gift of discernment, of prayer, the ability to discern spirits so that you can go pray and encourage someone who's, who's downtrodden, who's, who's got a spirit of depression, but God has shown you things like that that you can speak life in the name of Jesus over to break chains that sometimes people can't break for themselves? Are you using it? Are we just comfortable because God's a God of love and just grace? And, well, maybe today, hopefully, that'll challenge you to, hey, let's not waste time to have that conversation, maybe with our children. Let's prioritize God. Let's put Him first. Why? Because it actually matters. I don't know all the details. I don't know how it works. I do believe that God will present himself and he'll present Christ to every person before they stand before the seat of judgment, whether it be great, the great white throne or the judgment seat of Christ. I do believe the people of the Old Testament that, that Jesus went and presented himself. You might have a different opinion on that. That's fine. But I do believe that he has called the church to stand up, to be counted, and that eternity matters and what we do matters. And I've been so challenged by this as I've read the scripture, to be honest. This whole year I've went through our devotion book that we, that we give out about a year ago. I'm a wee bit lagging. But as I've went through the whole New Testament, it's really filled in some gaps for me and challenged me in a lot of things that I just can't hide from any longer. And so I want to face it. I want to face the music. And you know what the beauty about it all, all of this is, I'm going to finish right here is that when we face the music and we, we face this head on, you know what happens? Life. John 10, 10, life happens. We come alive. We stop thinking about me, me, me. We start thinking about God, 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 glorifying him, him, him. And you know what happens? Life begins to function better, better, better. We start to flow more, more, more. We start to get more excited. 
the joy of the Lord starts to enter into our soul again. This isn't just, let's be all down and dreary and, and sad. And this is the opposite. As I said, in the school context, when there's that fear, the healthy fear, all it produces from that is good exam results, order, manners, function. It's as if God designed us that way to have a healthy fear, not just grace, but also truth. Not just salvation, but also an understanding of His wrath. Jesus down on the cross wasn't just to give us an out-of-hell, out-of-jail free card. It was to have a love relationship with our maker. That's the primary concern. He loved us, that he wanted to know us. He wanted him, us to know him and his heart and to function the way we were always designed to function before sin entered the world. And he's just re he's redeeming, he's restoring that curse that was put upon us. Through one Adam came sin, through another Adam, Jesus, came redemption. And that's why we remember and him through the, the juice, which represents his blood that was shed and the wafer, which represents his body. And so as we do that today, let's remember, let's really dig into the understanding of what he done. He saved us. That's why we say we're saved. We're saved from our sin. The, the condemnation of our sin, we can't avoid it but Jesus paid for it. And so we're thankful. Thank you, Lord, that you're good. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you send the most important person in your life, your son, to go through pain that he didn't even have to go through, but he did. He humbled himself. So maybe we can too. We can start to trust him like we've never done before. We can start to take risks for him like we've never done before. We can start to, you know why I don't share Christ sometimes? Because I'm not humble. My pride, I want to look good before people. But as I'm reminded today, what really matters? My pride, my temporary comfort, or eternity that's in the balance. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.